beautiful. And what I really want to know is, what is good in your life today? I'm Kia, and this is another episode of the Female Veterans Podcast. The previous episode was about my friend Christina, and her story was really upsetting. And this is the continuation of it. And I'm got to tell you, it's not easy to hear. And it's highly emotional, especially for me. So before I let Christina finish telling you, I just want to say that this is one of the most powerful stories that I've heard so far. And it's just unimaginable to me what she's been through and what we're about to find out she went through. And for anyone who's going through this or who's gone through it, we need to support each other. We need to stand together because this is the kind of thing that should just never happen. We have to create change. We have to. You'll also notice an airplane flies overhead. There's one in the last episode and at the end of this one too. And, you know, like I said in the first episode of the podcast, we're real moms living real lives, trying to tell our stories. And sometimes you got to tell a story like this away from your family. So we deal with what comes along with that. Um, I hope you enjoyed the episode. And with that, here's Christina to tell the rest of her story. But before that happened, where I was raped, there was a, um, in Kuwait, they have mayors. And the mayor is responsible for a certain area, whatever area. And everything that happens, good or bad, they're responsible for it. Mm -hmm. And so... um, Captain Joni Ernest was the mayor of Camden Yards where I was attacked. So CID went to see her. She, I found out, had a formation that said that a female was raped. And the soldiers that were responsible were under her command. Wow. I don't think she I don't think she had any way of knowing that part. So CID comes back and they're like, okay, do you recognize this man? And Captain Ernest is like, yes, he's my soldier. And they're like, well, we need to talk to him. So they took him out of the tent. They said, "Uh, you're being accused of rape. Tell us what happened. He wrote his statement. And conceded that it was drunk, consensual sex. So while that's happening, Captain Ernest is in the tent collecting statements from the other nine men that were in the tent. Mm. 
So why why was she collecting them? (laughs) It seems like that should have been the investigators doing that. Yes. Well, it's still legal. That is just so jacked up. Oh my gosh. Well, how do they know that she wasn't in there going, this is what you need to say. We're going to clean this up so that none of us get in trouble. Cause it seems like to me, she would be held responsible if she's the mayor, right? Happened on her watch. <laughs> I mean, logically speaking, right? So, okay. so, oh my gosh, you just said army and logical. <laughs> so i'll trade then i'll i'll go to the navy and give up that lobster in the state real quick girl I bet you would. <laughs> so wow so yeah so okay so but i i must say some of the men in there definitely had ethics they said uh yeah so Four of the men wrote lengthy statements in support of the rapist. Okay, so that's five guys. The other ones said that they had no knowledge, they were sleeping, or they weren't there. Oh, come on. That's a cop-out. Well, no, hold on. Hold on. Watch this. So I was called by my command. They're like, CID wants to see you. I said, okay. I go into the room. And so the agent's in there and he says, we know you lied. So just make another statement. Oh, no. Did they coerce you? They tried to coerce yeah. you? No, no I'm going to use a stronger word. It's more like intimidation. Oh, it's not man. even coerced, right? So you've got this cop. That's a federal cop with arrest mm-hmm. powers, and you're like a nobody. You're like enlisted. Right. right. So it's like an order. Write another statement. So I wrote, I wrote my statement again, and I said, I never retracted my first statement. And I said, I remembered more things, and this is what I remembered. So at that point, they cited me for swearing to a false statement. So when I came outside to my command, they're like, you should have never change your statement. I said, I never changed my statement. I said, I added to it. So for them to, for me to write the statement and go through the questions was 45 minutes versus the six hours the first time. They were with my attacker for 30 minutes. Then. Oh my God. This is hard. Then I'm so then I'm sent back. I'm sent back to Balad. And that was worse than that night. And because you're jumping ahead. So I get off the transportation on my own. I'm on. My first sergeant jerks me off. He screamed in my face and said, you're going to pay for what you've done. Wait, he grabbed I, you? Yep. And pulled yes. you off of the transportation? Yes, and there was another lieutenant who saw him do it and said nothing. <gasps> and I, I started crying, and I'm, I'm like, Lieutenant, please. I, I said his full name, but I'm like, Lieutenant, please, please help me. He rolled his eyes, turned his back, <gasps> and walked away. Motherfucker. Uh-huh. And I'm so sorry, I get to... But that's what that is. Yep. 
Yet the Army is still a good old boy club. And if you don't fit, they're going to get rid of you. It's better to be a slut so everybody can have you than to have morals because they will punish you for them. I mean, I still feel that way. So um, I get to my tent. They're like, give us your weapon. You're on suicide watch. For what? Oh, they just decided you were on suicide watch? Pretty much. And uh, I go into my tent. They packed all my stuff. And my cot was catty-cornered. So when you walk into the tent, there's like a corner there. They had my bunk there. And then my whole squad was lined up (gasps) with their bunks. So they ostracized me, isolated me. And people picked on me, belittled me. It's like being in the third grade and you get in trouble and they put a dunce cap on your head and make you sit on the stool. That's what the army did. Oh my God. That is so horrible. And so like now, like I can talk about it now, but I still have zero emotion, flat effect. And I'm like, there's nothing that they can do to me at this point. They've already done the worst. So my first heart is like, go to bed. Uh, I'll see you in the morning. And I just turned my back. And I, yeah, tears were streaming down my face. And I slept for maybe three hours. I got up and I went and saw my buddy. And I talked to him for a really long time. And um, he's like, the only enemies you have here is your own command. He said, everybody else believes you. Your own command. Wow. That's powerful. And so the next day, uh, I'm packing. I'm packing the containers to get it to go. And they're like, we're putting you out of the army. What? You lied. You made a false statement. Uh, you got drunk. You weren't at your place of duty. You committed adultery, blah, blah, blah. And so I went through the process of being out processed in a combat zone. When I asked to go, uh, and people were pointing, they were making fingers, they were laughing, they were saying, oh yes, yeah, you were being bullied she, too. Yeah, she doesn't look like she was right. And then I had a warrant officer that was my friend. Uh, he was a deputy, and we all got pushed into the hoss because we're packing the tents, we're getting rid of everything, putting it in these medical containers to ship back to Germany. And he was sleeping next to me, and he's like, is it true? And I'm like, is what true, sir? Did you really have sex? And they say you were raped because you were late for work. What? Come on. And he's like, I can't sleep next to you anymore. I have a family. So oh, my he, God. So he, like, moved all of his stuff. I was totally ostracized in the worst way. I And at that point, I was wishing for a mortar. I was wishing for a mortar. And so... I, I asked to go see a psychiatrist, <clears throat> and my command told me no. 
they said, CID said nothing happened. You don't need a psychiatrist. We're, we're putting your ass out of the army. Oh, my God. So they followed the legal framework, kind of. So I'm like, I want an attorney. I asked for a court martial. I'm like, if they're going to put me out, they're going to put all their evidence out there against me mm-hmm. so I can challenge it. Jeffrey, so they girl. took so they took me to see uh, their JAG attorney, mm-hmm. not right. an outside JAG attorney, mm-hmm. their JAG attorney. I was made to stand outside. My command went in. They came out and said, you can go in. That man told me, meeting was over in like five minutes. I can't help you sign whatever they give you. If you have any problems when you get back to the States, this is my name and this is my DSN. And it was over. So then at the end of January, I was put on a bus with my command. My command was like, hurry up, hurry up. We can't be late. We got to get her out. We got to get her out. (sighs) And they, and yeah, there were other soldiers in there too. They took me, uh, I went to the airport there in Balad and I had an escort, the same Lieutenant that turned his back on me. Mm. And I flew to Kuwait. Uh, we bought computers, uh, and then back to Germany. And yeah, I was put out of the military 30 days after I went for help medically. It was that quick. That's disgusting. Yep. So, so, so they put you out of the military in a foreign country? They started the process there and finished it in Germany. So overseas. So, okay. Once you're out of the military, you're out. So how did you... Get home. You done now? So, be put out of the military. Uh, they, it's kind of like, they brought me there, they'll send me back. So, but I was smart. I, while I still had my military ID, I went and bought a round trip ticket to come back to Germany. Mm-hmm. And I got, I got me a job. And so, I had to rush my passport. I didn't have a passport. Being military, show your military ID, and you can like bounce from country to country to country. Right. You because the military is sponsoring you, so you don't need it. But as a civilian, I did. So, so wait. So so they got they uh, discharged you in a, a combat bat zone, but mm-hmm. they would have flown you back to the states. Well, they. After be out in a combat zone, but then I had to be out processed through Germany. That took like a day. That's where you have to clear the bank and you have to mm-hmm. clear for your uniforms. And but they all wouldn't fly you back to the States? Yes, they did fly me back to the States, but. Oh, okay. But I, I was humiliated. I was shamed. And. My unit came back. Our whole company came back. And when they were enjoying uh, parties and rest and relaxation, hanging out, 
I was isolated in my barracks. I was not allowed to participate. That is so horrible. I didn't get counseling. I didn't get anything because to them, I was worthless. When I tried to reach out to the press, I got in trouble by my command. This man, he, he was a major. He was responsible for me while I was there. And he's like, if you reach out to the press, I will court-martial you myself. He backed me up against the wall. There was like six inches between his face and my face. He said, you will report every hour on the hour for the remainder time you are here. So when my command came back, I had to give back everything. My uniforms. PT, uniforms, even things that I bought with my own money. So I, they took it, all of it. It's as if I didn't exist. And they got my ticket. They dropped me off at the airport. And that was it. And then they made me use my leave to put me out of the Army. So instead of me getting paid for the very last day on the 31st, they took my leave that I accrued while I was in Iraq, and they paid me with that. Oh, my God. So I came back. I went back to – they flew me back into Atlanta, and then uh, my aunt and uncle picked me up, and I couldn't bear to tell them what happened. I got home. Uh, My dad was happy to see me. They still thought I was in the military. I lied to them because I, I, I couldn't process. I couldn't process what had just happened to me. And it happened so fast too. So I rushed my passport and uh, my dad dropped me off at the airport thinking I was going back to Germany because I was a soldier. I ended up telling him about six months after I had already left. And they got mad. Um, and so I struggled. I did. Um, I had drinking problems. Try to kill myself on base. That didn't work. But I still had the scars from smashing my wrist open. And. Oh, honey. I. And I come back up to the States uh, sometime in 2004. So I came to Florida and. Uh, I still couldn't process it, so I drank. I used cocaine for like six months. Yeah, it was only on the weekends, but I would go through like, like this is the Ziploc baggie, like this much. Oh, you guys don't I would, understand how much that is. It's a lot yeah. of cocaine, like a lot. Yeah, a yeah. Lot. I blew, I blew through it in one night. Oh my god! I mean, how are you alive? Exactly. And I made, 
I just had a hard time. I used, I had, not now, but then I hated cops. I was just looking mm-hmm. for one to step out of line so I could put them in their place. And I remember I was in Ybor City and I was drunk. And uh, I don't know what I did, but an officer tried to correct me. And I slipped him off and I said, you can't touch this. And he oh, looked boy. mad. He looked mad. And I'm like, I flipped him off. And then I left. And I made, oh, I, and I hated men. I would, I would pick fights with men and beat the crap out of them for no good reason at all. Wow. Just because they were men. And, oh, man, I struggled really bad. And then I met my husband. And he was with me the night that I blew through probably about, I don't even know how much I paid for that, but I just started feeling funny and I realized I had made a mistake and I was laying in bed. I couldn't even go to sleep for like three days. Goodness. And my husband, well, my husband now, he was holding me and in a hotel and I'm like, God, I promise that I'll never do it again. If you just please let me go to sleep to get this side effect off. And I went to sleep wrapped up in Sean's arms. And so I made a promise and I never touched it again. That's amazing. But I, but I was still hurting. And so I cut the drinking down, but then I could go like three months, but then I would binge drink. Mm-hmm. And then, and I, I struggled. I struggled with the worthlessness that I felt. And so I started going to the Department of Veterans Affairs. And I didn't know everything that they knew. And so because of my discharge, it made me ineligible for VA benefits because it was for misconduct due to my rape case. And so I had talked to a man, and he's like, uh-uh take this to the army board that corrects discharges. It's the army discharge review board. He said, they rarely give relief, but he said, I think they might in your case. So I had submitted the paperwork and I told them I didn't lie. I told the truth. I'm like, and I feel so worthless. I told him everything that happened. And so I ended up becoming homeless I didn't have anywhere to go, and um, me and my husband moved to Alabama. So I wrote the board, and I'm like, hey, what did y'all decide? And so the board wrote me back. They're like, Miss Sunnathale, we decided in your favor. That's wonderful. Yeah. And they wrote it in their decision that my command violated my rights, that they took authority that they didn't have. Okay. So this is kind of like, we see this so much with leadership today. They make decisions, but they don't have the authority to make those decisions, and then it just screws everything up. Mm-hmm. So I gave the discharge, the correction, everything to the VA. But they still refused to treat me. They wrote me a, yep, they wrote me a letter saying that the rape does not exist. The traumatic brain injury that I have um, 
does not exist because the rape in question doesn't exist. So again, I was just like, but I, I was in a blast. I was in an explosion. Doesn't matter. So I was fighting against a system that I didn't know just how evil they were. And so um, even though I had been diagnosed by a VA neuropsychologist of having a traumatic brain injury, a moderate, a moderate traumatic brain injury due to sexual assault, the VA refused to recognize it. So then me and my husband, his job moved him, moved us to Oklahoma. I get to Oklahoma. So I had been diagnosed with seizures due to the traumatic brain injury. Uh, my soul, my shoulder, the VA never fixed it. I went to a civilian doctor. He said, uh, your clavicle is disconnected from your shoulder. What? what? He's like, have you ever been into a fight or something that could cause like any kind of damage like this? And I'm like, that's why my shoulder hurts. So it was a level two. AC joint separation. So where your cla- your clavicle connects right here to your shoulder bone. Mm-hmm. Mine went over this part of my neck, my uh, collarbone right here, mm-hmm. had been dislocated away from the shoulder. Oh, my God. So, so, and I kept complaining to the VA about this. I kept complaining. And they're like, yeah, so it's really not injured because you really were raped. I mean, come on. So this civilian guy went in. He he shaved it down and uh, reconnected it. The back of my shoulder blade, because it went untreated for so long, had a paralegal cyst. When he drained it, the cyst had infection. It was oh a... It was a 12 by 9. You don't get a 12 by 9 cyst in your shoulder from an injury that happens a year ago. It builds up over time, but Mm -hmm. they didn't treat it. When I submitted those records to the VA, yeah, you can't have that injury because the raping question doesn't exist. Oh, my God. But I'm like, but I'm like, so then I came back to them, and I'm like, but the board said that I didn't do anything wrong. The VA said that wasn't good enough. Oh, so, so when I get to Oklahoma City, I'm being treated for seizures. I'm being treated for traumatic brain injury. I was labeled a polytrauma patient, and so I lost my driving privileges. I couldn't swim, couldn't climb ladders, or anything like that because if I start having a seizure, it could kill me. Right. And so this one day, I had been talking to uh, the head of CID. Uh, his name is Edgar Collins. He's still there. He's a chief warrant officer. He's a CW5. I went on my rape case reopened because I had seizures that were attributed to my sexual assault, traumatic brain injury, the shoulder that the VA refused to fix. And so, because this guy, the bone guy, he looked at the x-ray that the VA did. And he says, I don't know how the hell they missed this. So they had done an x-ray, like, all the way back in 2006. He's like, how could they miss this? So so Edgar Collins is like, yeah, you have to have definitive proof that all that stuff happened that night, that it's from that night. And I'm like, 
okay, then I'll call you back. Because I don't want to research what he was saying. <laughs> then I get a call one day. And Oklahoma City VA said, you're not a veteran anymore. And we can't treat you. Whoa, 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 whoa. What? And I'm Why like, you just what? not be a veteran anymore? Yeah, I piss people off. Oh. So. I went to the law. I went to the law that said that the VA has to treat all injuries related to sexual assault. My discharge. So that discharge correction, it wiped. It, it, all the misconduct that I was accused of, when they vacated that, it's like it was white, clean, finito, not there. So they came back with, we don't have to treat your injuries related to sexual assault because we contacted CID, and CID said that it was consensual. Oh, my God. I can't. So now now I'm fighting up against, like, corrupt cops. And, uh, I mean, I I still keep thinking about that movie, Law Abiding Citizen. This man did nothing wrong. The people that were supposed to be protecting and getting justice for him ended up betraying him, and he destroyed Mm -hmm. the whole city. So by the time they caught on, it was too late. The The people that were involved in this case that did things that they shouldn't have done, he killed them. Now, obviously, I can't do that. But right. now I'm beginning to understand at the level that people can get when they've had enough. Mm-hmm. It, it's good that I, I love God and that I know him and that justice is in his hands, even if I can't see it. So I'm like, how do I fight against this? So I'm like, my discharge is corrected. They said, it doesn't matter. You're not service-connected, and you don't have 24 months. But I'm like, my discharge erased all that. You you have to accept that. No, we don't. Oh so, then, so then I was at risk of being homeless again. I went to them and asked them for help, assistance, to get to, to help me live. Oh, we're sorry. You're not a veteran, so you're not entitled to anything to help you have housing. So then I had asked the VA to grant me service connection for hearing loss and seizures. One of the men who wrote the decision said that I couldn't have hearing loss because, quote, you're just a cook. What? And I'm like, So then, like at that point, sarcasm just started taking a real key role in my life. And I'm like, I wrote back, did the Department of Defense alert the Taliban that they're not allowed to attack female soldiers? These people don't care about gender. But you're going to tell me that as a female, I can't have hearing loss because I was just the cook? So if my leg's blown off, that's not possible because I'm just to cook too. Oh my God. Oh, wow. So I lost, I lost my bed for service connection. And yeah, so I overdosed on um, aspirin. 
uh, I was in ICU for three days. And then Oklahoma City VA said she's maxed out her eligibility for care. We're discharging her. So I'm not a veteran, and I'm not allowed health care when I just try to kill myself. And so then the lady, one of the social workers I saw, she says, well, you tried to end your life, so we're going to go ahead and make a referral to Child Protective Services on, on your – and I'm like, why? Well, you tried to kill yourself, and I screamed in her face. And I'm like, you took my health care away. You gave me nothing in return. You said no help for housing, no service connection. They, they called the State Department and said that I couldn't take care of my kids because I had too many medical problems. And these were the same people that said I wasn't a veteran. I took my health care away. And then they made the situation like totally impossible. And I'm like... But my kids weren't home when I did that. Does it matter? Wow. So, so, they, so I ended up calling the White House, and I'm like, please stop them. So somehow the White House contacted the people that for Health and Human Services, their director, and told Oklahoma uh, DSS to back off. Don't even come to my house. So I never heard from them, oh, but I have the I have the documents though, where they said that I tried to abuse my children because I tried to take my life when my children weren't even home. The Department of Veterans Affairs is not for women with disabilities that have kids. They bust homes up, they break homes up. They don't care. They don't care. So I went two years and one month with no health care. And they even put me in a they put me in a traumatic brain injury study when they said I had no traumatic brain injury. They said I was not eligible for care. And the VA got five thousand dollars to put me in this study. Oh my god. So you were worth five thousand dollars, huh? Yeah, so for the purpose of treating me for traumatic brain injury and helping me is denied. But for the purpose of making the VA money, now that is allowed. So I ended up being service-connected for IBS. And then I got pregnant with Sammy. Um, The VA gave me birth control, which is good. But then their doctors gave me medicine that caused my birth control to fail. They don't match the prescriptions. And I wouldn't... I wouldn't trade Sam for anything. So, but it's important that female veterans are aware that the VA does not cross-reference those things. And so if you're on Mirena, if you're on, an, uh, yeah, like birth control pills, and they're giving you some antidepressants or uh, things like Topamax for seizures, migraine prophylactic, it causes that birth control to fail. But, like, the VA is not smart enough to recognize that, that yet. So I got pregnant with Sam, and um, the VA wouldn't take me off all the medication they had me on. If I would have stayed on it, Sam would, like, have severe problems. So I had to stop taking all of my medicine. The day that I found out, when I called the VA, I asked them, uh, help me wing me off these medications. And, like, nobody ever called me back. So I quit 
all of my medicine cold turkey. It took a week of withdrawal. Wow. But yeah, Sam's okay. So after I had Sam, uh, my husband uh, got a job offer here in Florida. So we came. And um, I was breastfeeding Sam. I wasn't taking any medication. But as she got older and I wasn't breastfeeding her as much, um, I just started feeling really bad. The facial twitching was back. I started dropping weight. I was coughing up blood. So Orlando VA uh, is like, okay, we'll go ahead and do an EEG. So they picked up um, slowing in my brainstem. So they sent me for MRI. The MRI uh, showed uh, lesions in my brain and my brainstem, my right lateral ventricle. Uh, it showed that I had had um, many strokes in my brainstem, which is where that lesion came from. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I had to go for an MRA to check for blood clots, uh, damaged veins that could contribute to another uh partial stroke or a full stroke. And so then I found out that my vessels are messed up. Uh, there's atherosclerosis in it from traumatic brain injury. Oh my gosh. And so they started giving me medicine for headaches. They said, you're not having seizures right now. We need to repeat the testing. So then my lungs started just they had there was a problem with it but it it got more severe for like a whole week i coughed up chunks of blood so i called my primary care provider and i'm like look this is what's happening she's like i'll send you to orlando va for them to test your lungs because i had reached out to the war related illness center and uh not atlanta in washington and they told dr cody check her lungs because i had been deployed so it came back with moderate to severe damage. I was still fighting CID on taking away, making a false statement. By this point, they admitted to charging me falsely on swearing to a false statement. So I gave that to the VA and I look, I said, look, they admitted to charging me falsely. I said, you have to go back and undo all the damage. So the VA comes back with, well, they didn't undo making a false statement. So technically you still lied. Oh, come on. Like, Lily, where does it end? (laughs) What is wrong with these people? Yeah, they don't care. Like, so I got, I requested my personnel file. And that's how I learned the name of the man that raped me. I learned the name of all the men that were witnesses in that tent. When I read through the statements, <coughs> when I read through the statements, you could see that they collaborated together before they wrote them. Like one of the men wrote in his statement, there's no way you could sleep through all that noise. One of the men in his statement says that he slept through the whole thing. Well, how would witness A know what witness B said Unless they were talking about it. 
So what made it worse is that CID couldn't interview all those men at this in one day. So they let three, three of the witnesses stay in the tent with the other seven and took their statements the next day. But I'm the one who's... So then we find out that CID is the one who gave all the statements, the whole narrative of what happened to the Department of Veterans Affairs. So the VA had already decided that I was not worth anything. I was not worth their time. They either wrote it in letters, point of contact, that the lay statements are on file. She alleges that she was raped, but she was put out for misconduct. Oh, my even, God. Even though the record was fixed. So... I kept fighting with CID about that. I discovered the rape kit. They burned it. They didn't even test it. They put me through all that hell for nothing. Oh, my God. So so then I found out that CID doesn't keep the medical part. They send it to Texas. Department of Veterans Affairs never asked for that. So all those records were sitting in Texas. The photographs. The photographs. Where, oh my where God, they, you got to be kidding me. All the no, evidence no. was there sitting in Texas? The medical part. Yeah. Everything else was destroyed. Yes. The paper form was there. The paper mm-hmm. part. Mm-hmm. The administrative part of the investigation is with CID in uh, Quantico, Virginia. It's mm-hmm. in the CRC uh, Crime Records Center. They don't keep medical stuff at the crime record center. They send it to Texas. So we found photographs that were taken that had handprints all the way around my arm from where I was held down. There was cuts in between my legs. I had marks on the front of my legs. That's consensual. So then the VA gets those documents. They, ne- they never changed their mind. So I kept fighting with CID about making a false statement. And they're like, we're not changing it. So in 2016, this was be the third time I took my case before the Army Board of Correction for Military Records. My case was pending for three years. And the Secretary of Defense... Mark Esper was the Secretary of the Army at that time. He ordered the commanding general of CID to unfound making a false statement. In in a letter that was sent to me, he said, you know she did not lie. Oh, my God, finally. And then I got the memorandum that said, you are ordered to unfound... uh, making a false statement that was finalized in 2019. But meanwhile, the VA is giving me grief about my health conditions. First, they said, it's my fault because I smoke. Then they said, uh, I did blow. I didn't do blow long enough to do any damage. Um, And I know because when I got pregnant with Shelly, they checked. 
all of my organs were fine. There's no damage from cocaine because of that. And like she, Shelly gets all A's and B's. Abby, healthy. Sammy, healthy. So, okay, what else are you going to blame me for? So I got fed up with the VA line. They wouldn't run the test they were supposed to do. I was getting sicker. I went to the pulmonologist at the VA. You have asthma. I never had asthma my whole life. So they put me on a bronchodilator. They wrote in my records that my lungs were healthy and that I had occupational asthma. In 2012, I filled out paperwork that said, what kind of exposure did you have in Iraq? And I wrote it. I burned human waste with jet fuel. Wow. And the VA still denied it in 2012. They freaking hated me. And that's fine. But my husband felt like the VA was going to end up killing me faster. How so? And because I was getting worse, like so much worse. Like Sean had took pictures of me. And when I feel really, really poorly, you see the color of my face. It turns white like Mm -hmm. albino white Mm -hmm. and my feet swell my arm hurts if i try to take a deep breath like i had pain shooting across my chest so we went to mayo clinic mayo clinics yeah you don't have asthma you have damage to your lungs from the burn pits and the carcinogenics you inhaled while you were in iraq they did they did the whole workup they found antibodies to stuff that I could only have gotten when I deployed. The VA missed it. So then my pulmonary function test continued to decline. I did quit smoking for like six months, like they suggested. When I went back, my diffusion capacity was sitting at 40%. So 60% of the oxygen that should be flowing through my body is not there. Your diffusion capacity in your lungs is how well. So when you breathe in, oxygen in. When you breathe out, it's a carbon monoxide. When the diffusion capacity is messed up, it stays in the lungs. It's not being pushed out. So you have a carbon monoxide buildup in your lungs? Pretty much. So, so... I went back to the VA, and I'm like, this this is what Mayo Clinic said. You have asthma. No, really? Oh, oh, my gosh. So, yeah, you have to have self-control because they obviously don't. Mm-hmm. And so Sean's like, yeah, they're stupid. And so I kept complaining. I kept complaining, and I'm like, they're killing me. I had brain stem lesions. I had this. They're not treating me. They don't know when it happened. The VA took my health care away. Now they're blaming me. So we went and saw uh, Dr. Robert Miller. He looked at what the VA did. He looked at the scans. He's like, this is not asthma. This is constrictive bronchiolitis. 
And I'm like, what is that? He said, your lungs are failing. He said, you see the webbing here? And you see uh, the glass. He showed me the ground glass of his knees. So at that point, my left lower lobe had already collapsed. It still collapsed. And he's like, there's really nothing much I can do for you because you have more than one chronic condition. So by that time, I was already diagnosed with pulmonary hypertension. The pulmonary hypertension that the VA said would not get worse and that didn't need any treatment. And then um, I was rushed to the emergency room from an abnormal heart rate. My blood pressure was very, very low, but my heart rate was like 120. They're like, are you aware that you have atrial fibrillation? And I'm like, no. They said it's a complication of pulmonary hypertension. It causes, when it goes untreated, it leads to an arrhythmia. Huh. So then, like, after that, my life started falling apart. Why? When Dr. Miller is sitting there with me, and he's telling me that early detection is critical for these diseases. And I didn't get early detection because they called me a liar. Mm-hmm. And they didn't want to help me. So I'm like... I'm going to die because they called me a liar. Oh, my God. So then after that, like, everything just totally fell apart. And when I went back to the VA and I asked them, they said, okay, I'm not a liar anymore. They came back with, we can't undo the past. You just need to move on. You need to move on. You need to get over it. I'm like, what? What? (laughs) We can't undo the past. So then they put this woman, because I kept complaining. I'm not allowed to complain to the VA anymore. This woman named Dr. Linda Indris, she's my point of contact. If I have a question, I have to ask her. If I have a complaint, I have to ask her. If I try to call anybody in the VA, it gets routed to her. If I try to reach out to Congress and it gets sent to her, I try to make complaints on the White House VA complaint line. They don't even investigate anything anymore. They write it up. And so the last three times, the complaint is closed. Without, without, without them taking any action. So I asked, I kept bugging the crap out of them about the no health care. And I finally got an answer. Yes, we're sorry we took your health care away. It was a, it was a training mistake. What? So you have essentially a death sentence and they told you it was a training mistake? Yeah, I have it in writing. And when I asked, I asked them, I said, um, so the man, uh, yeah, he doesn't work for VA anymore. He's retired. But the other people, like Lynn Harvin and this man named Tony G, they still work for the VA. 
Lynn Harbin got an $11,000 bonus the year I lost my health care. And Tony G, he got a $9,000 bonus. So that's the going rate for bonuses to kill veterans. Oh, my God. I feel like I'm going to be sick. So I called the woman who told me I wasn't a veteran, told me that I was sick and I needed serious help, but my service in Iraq was worthless. She was the one who told me that she called CID command and CID told her that it was consensual. So I found out she's still working for the VA in Oklahoma City, screwing veterans one at a time. She got scared because I left a voicemail. And I'm like, yeah, I just want to thank you for ruining my life. Thanks for murdering me. And I'm like, and she has pictures on her Facebook page. Jesus loves you. And I'm like, Jesus is not even going to forgive her for the things that she did. And blood is just boiling. I just, I can't. Yeah. Yeah. You know, she, I got to be careful what I say. So she got scared. Oh, I've got to reach out to the cops because I feel threatened that I screwed up and I'm being caught on it. So no, I'm scared. Please. So then I get a call from VA cops. Oh my and God. I thought, and then I thought, well, I, I thought I was being called because there's like this fat guy that's a VA cop here in Florida. And so he like, yeah, he's a liar. He was cited uh, for LAPD. He lied in an official statement. So the city fired him. He, he shot and killed uh, a 13-year-old boy. He's got excessive, <laughs> excessive force complaints. Oh, God. And so the VA, VA leadership know about this. They know that every statement he's ever took, every case he's investigated, they had to tell the veteran that this cop has a credibility issue. It's written in the law. So they put him on desk duty, but then put him back out at the VA, supposedly protecting veterans. This guy's a loody. So, so I thought in the, in the midst of all this, I had tried to dissect it any which way that I could. This woman, uh, Dr. Indris, I thought she was going to help me, but then I realized she was there for the VA. And I asked her to back off. I asked her to leave me alone. I said, I didn't ask you to be assigned to me. She's like, she says, I'm trying to help you. I'm like, in what way? Because you're not. I said, as a matter of fact, things are getting worse since you've been assigned. I said, nothing is getting done. And Secretary Wilkie, he's a real tool. Oh, wow. And I, and I say that because he can have some really good ideas, but then sometimes I think he is so dumb. He has no idea what's going on around him. He doesn't know what's happening on the ground. Mm-hmm. And I know I know Secretary Shinseki. He was responsible for a lot of veterans dying. But do you know what I noticed about him? That man 
even with the security detail, went out on one of the coldest nights in Washington with the secretary uh, for HUD. They counted the homeless. They counted them. They talked to veterans. They got their information. And some of those veterans, they ended up getting off the street. You showed me one person at the Department of Veterans Affairs that's leaving their cozy, comfortable, warm houses, security details to get their hands dirty, to go into some of these slums and count the veterans that are mm -hmm. sick, dying, no shelter. No, mm -hmm. no. They are, they are above the people they serve. That's right. That is that is one way you want to tick me off, do crap like that. And so then I'm just going to start acting like a bitch and I'm going to pursue you. And then I'll usually end up embarrassing you. I want Wilkie's resignation. I want him fired because out of all the secretaries at the VA, I don't think he's taking his job seriously. He's got people telling me to get over it, to move on. But they gave me all these assignments to do. And now that I've succeeded, surprise to them. And they're going to tell me just to get over it. It doesn't it's work so that way. Crazy. It doesn't work that way. So, so like the people who did this, I thought the call I was getting was because I called and I left my number for that cop that's uh, here in Orlando. Mm -hmm. that has excessive force a uh, complaints and is a liar. And it wasn't. It was Oklahoma City VA. And he's like, you scared. They felt threatened. I said, why? Because they broke the law and they're running to you for help. I said, did you listen to my message? He said, yes. I said, did I make any threats? No, ma'am, you did not. I said, so what's to be scared about? That the VA lied to me and misled me that this female had been fired? Would she, all they did was freaking move her around? Surprise, all surprise. The, all they did was move her around. But, oh, she's scared. I live in Florida. She's in Oklahoma. The chances of me flying there to beat her up and then come back are like zero. She doesn't worth my time. Okay? She's a liar and a murderer. And so I outed her on Facebook, on Twitter, and people know who she is. She doesn't deserve to work with veterans. She's not good enough. So I, I had enough of VA. So VA told me that, that Mayo Clinic was wrong. They told me that Vanderbilt was wrong. So Dr. Miller said, go to National Jewish Health. When I went to National Jewish Health, they said, you're much worse. So in addition to constructive bronchiolitis, my left and right lower lobes are now collapsed. The asthma that the VA said I have is not asthma. It's vocal cord dysfunction with paralysis. Oh my God. My, my trachea at that, at that point was 70 to 80% collapsed, which means it's not the front part right here, it's the back part. So, like, would you try to bend your neck back and swallow? You probably can, but I can't. Mm -hmm. 
I can't do that. I choke if I try to swallow because the back part of my trachea is pushing on the front part and I feel like I'm choking. They found bone spurs in my neck that are making the the hyperdynamic airway collapse much more severe. Oh my goodness. Then they looked at my heart. I am now in heart failure because the VA said that I didn't need to take a beta blocker, that I would be fine. And I believed them. I trusted them. So now I'm, I'm in heart failure. The pulmonary hypertension is now moderate, is borderline for a moderate to severe. So it's like on that line, it's like you have mild and then the line moderate and then a line severe. I'm right on that line before I hit severe. So they couldn't even get pictures of my aorta because my heart is enlarged. This is VA's fault because they said that I was healthy. They really wrote that. They wrote that in a letter to me. They said that I'm healthy and they have no concerns. So I wonder why I kept getting acid. I can't have water or anything without having heartburn, severe heartburn to where I'm vomiting it. And they're like, yeah, you've had Barrett's esophagus for a really long time. And so now you have thickening in your in the bottom part of your esophagus. And you have a hiatal hernia. So when they put all the tests together, they're like, yeah, you've got cancer in your esophagus. And the VA missed it. The VA freaking missed it. So, like, I was told by the Department of Veterans Affairs, we don't want to see you. We don't want to treat you. And we can't make anybody here when I help you. Oh, my God. That is... so. So like I'm back, like so like I'm back at the thing where I am service connected, but for the purpose of VA healthcare, I'm not alone. They don't want to admit to their mistake, and I, I went back and I'm like, okay, let's just say for five minutes that they're right. I'm a liar. I'm a slut. That I asked for it. Is the punishment that I got worth the crime that I committed? Was it? I want somebody to tell me. I want Wilkie and I want Trump and I want all these people who say they love veterans to look me in the face and say, if you've ever told a lie that you deserve to die, I didn't lie, though, and the evidence was on my side, but nobody got to see it. What the hell am I supposed to tell my kids? Can somebody tell me? I don't understand. And I'm sorry. I don't understand. I went through all their hoops. I did everything that they said. And they still. Oh well. We realize mistakes we've made, but we're trying to do better by you now. 
oh, wow, you have to go through all that just to get the VA to do their job? It's horrible. Mm. Absolutely horrible. There are no words that I can say that could adequately express this. This is the most horrible, horrible, disgusting thing I've heard. And I'm angry. I'm an angry American. (laughs) You know, I don't hate anybody. I love everybody. I don't care if they're GOP, if they're liberal. I don't care if they're white, white, blue, green, if they identify as LGBTQ. I don't care. I believe in due process. And I, and I, and I'm just like, you deserve justice. What? what the hell happened? So when I went back and I did my research, five years. So from the time a soldier leaves deployment, they're going to start showing symptoms within those five years. And if the VA doesn't catch it, they're going to end up being something like me. And I don't want that. So... Congress says, so if you start from a combat zone, we're going to give you five years free health care. If they don't service connect these veterans, and they didn't, the veterans didn't serve two years or 24 months or whatever, then they're going to end up like me. And I, I don't, I don't want that. People. They're going to be yep. killing people because of the burn pits. Yep. And then Dr. Clancy, you know, I used to respect her. Now I just think she's stupid. But she's like, there's no definitive proof. You're right. There is no proof when you're telling females. And I've heard from other other male veterans that have said that the VA has told them they're not a veteran too. So it's just not me. Oh, wow. And so they're telling them that they're not veterans. They're missing all the data. So I don't know. What kind of evidence are you going to collect from the stand when everybody's dead? I really want to know. Do you know how many victims of Agent Orange died before Congress would act? Mm-hmm. More than half a million. Wow. It's mind-blowing when you think about, you know, you think, you think, you say, you know, when it comes to claims, deny, deny until they die, right? And you'd like to think it's just a joke that we veterans make about the VA, but really it's the truth. It's the truth of what we experience. It happens. Tell me, what do you think about the registry? I think it's bull. And the reason why is because, number one, the VA has forgotten about the first Gulf War veterans. Um, I don't, I don't remember your age, but I'm, I'm 40. So when they, when they first went in to Kuwait to protect the Kurds, to protect the people from the weapons Saddam was using, Mm -hmm. I was a teenager. Me too. And, you know, 
they deployed 500,000 to that area. And so what that conflict was like, what, 92, 93, I think. Mm -hmm. Well, it was, they were bringing everybody home at the end of 94, which is when I went in. So technically that is my era. That is my combat era. Okay. So yeah, half a billion from that point in time. We are the year 2019 out of a half a million service members. Only 438,000 are alive. Oh my God. So mind blowing. So, where did 500,000 and then 03? So, in 18 years, we're missing like 80,000 veterans. Wow. But the VA said to them, there's no evidence of Gulf War illness. There's no evidence of this. There's no evidence. There's no evidence. There's no evidence. Mm -hmm. At the rate that they're dying, by the time, yeah, by the time Samantha will be in high school, they'll all be dead. My God. This is just so... So when you count them and then count my generation of veterans, 9-11, post 9-11, there are some 4 million, yeah, 4 million soldiers that were exposed to the environmental factors of Kuwait, Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria. That's like a national epidemic. And then here's Dr. Clancy saying, oh, there's not enough evidence. No, stupid. You're just not smart enough to collect it. It's like they gather the evidence and they have their own Mm self-interpretation. When I researched other doctors and other methods, these doctors identified the question. And then they tried to develop a theory. You can't say to a veteran that has never smoked, for example, I know a lady who has never smoked her whole life. She was in the army and she worked for KBR. Her lungs are failing. She has constrictive bronchiolitis. She is in her forties. You can't tell her that the reason why she's sick is because she smokes cigarettes. Right. And you can't tell you can't tell a 30 year old that smoked maybe a pack of cigarettes a week for the last 10 years, that the reason why his lung function is declining is because he smokes. Number one, smoking has nothing to do with it. And I can tell you that because uh, the Academy of Sciences, they have inappropriate diseases. That sounds terribly awful, awful, awful. So you have geriatric patients that are like 60 years old, 70 years old. So lung declining, uh, people who smoke, they start seeing the kind of damage that I'm seeing and that other veterans are seeing from smoking like at 65, mm-hmm. 70 years old. Goodness. Heart, heart failure, 60, 70 years old, needing a pacemaker due to age-attributed uh, abnormal heart rhythm, not 30 and 40 year olds or even 20 year olds. 
Really? So they are like missing it. So it's like the VA, the VA is an institution. And it's like they are protecting their institution. Of course. From veterans. From veterans. Yes. Yes. So, so the problem, <laughs> so the problem isn't that they don't have the research. Is that they don't want to apply the research. It's just better to blame. So I have recently said this. I said, I know that President Donald Trump has sex. And I said, do you know how I make this assumption? Because he has kids. Yes. So, and then I said, I have friends that don't have any kids. Mm -hmm. So by that same standard, does that mean they don't have sex? No, it doesn't. Right. So the evidence is self-interpretation. So you don't know if uh, Melody Trump had to go a different route to get her son, like in vitro fertilization, or, mm -hmm. and you don't know that the woman that can't have kids is because she wasn't born with a uterus. So just making generalized assumptions is what's hurting veterans, and that's what the VA is doing. So they take a group of veterans, oh, well, we're going to blame their booze habit, their drug habit, and the fact that they smoke, and all the health problems that they have. And we're not going to look at all the other contributing factors and that they're, in fact, too young to have these diseases. Well, it's cost effective. Yeah. For them to turn a blind eye to a lot of things or to interpret the evidence in a way that is less favorable for the veteran because there's very, very, very many of us now and more and more every day with these endless wars. So it is cost effective, pure and simple, to determine that the evidence doesn't fit in favor of the veteran, in my opinion. Yeah. And I think a lot of people would agree with that. Yes. And so now it's like become a battle between the strongest academics in America, places like National Jewish Health, Vanderbilt University, uh, Mayo Clinic. Mayo Clinic wants nothing to do with the VA. <laughs> My doctor sat there. She told me that. She's like, we don't want nothing to do with the VA because they, their work is shady. So the VA teamed up with people like at Harvard. <laughs> so these people at Harvard, when I was reading through some of their reports, they're conflicted in some of the things that they're saying. They're not going by scientific evidence. And so mm -hmm. they're compromised. There's other places like uh, in England. For example, they've done what the VA won't do. So I'm I'm uh, tomorrow sometime. I'm releasing a report. It's called uh, "Knowledge Is Power" because I got so ticked off at Carolyn Clancy saying there's not enough evidence, or the evidence doesn't support. No, you're stupid. So I went to England. Because I scared the crap out of this British soldier one time. I asked him if I could drive his car. <laughs> and I inter 
ended up I was running people over and he's like screaming in the side bloody hell bloody hell <laughs> oh, man I, th- I think I gave him PTSD so oh, wow. <laughs> the UK they've done right by their soldiers mm-hmm. they offered lump sum payouts to soldiers with lung damage and I'm not talking about chump change I'm talking about like six hundred thousand dollars, and wow. then they pay for all, and then they pay for all their medical treatment. They went and did, they went and did all the research that talks about what the VA here doesn't want to talk about. I'm compiling it all together, and then I found where OSHA said that the Department of Defense is supposed to be issuing face masks for deployed soldiers. There's three separate types. The one that the Department of Defense is supposed to be issuing is a type P, like P, uh, the letter P. Mm-hmm. The letter P mask filters nanometers. That is like the smallest of matter, but it's so small that it can inject, get into the lungs and cause lung damage. Mm-hmm. So I found the manufacturer. And they're willing to cut a deal with the Department of Defense to provide these masks at a reasonable cost to the taxpayer to protect the soldiers that are already deployed. I'm not playing no more. I've had enough. So, yeah, I compiled it all together. And I even found the memorandum where the Department of Defense tried to do a MOU with OSHA not find them for not following the law. Why? I'm not playing no more. I am not playing no more. They have like, like so pissed me off. Like I'm just so freaking mad. And this is the only way I know how to fight back. Yes. And you well should. So they started it, but I'm going to finish it. They're not going to get the last word this time. I love that you said that. And I love that you're going to fight. I do. And I said she was a fighter. And this is what I meant. And I can't wait to see all your research and find out what happens next in this story. And we are going to have to have you come back and tell it in the future. Okay. So promise. You're going to be well. And you're going to fight. You're going to fight them. And you're going to fight for your health. And you're going to come back and tell us what happens with all of this. Okay. Okay. So what's next? Well, let's see here. Uh, next Thursday, I'm having surgery. And uh, they're going to put a tube up my stomach and uh, cut out some of my esophagus. And... Uh, it's gonna be rough when that's done will you feel any better do you think i'll be able to eat they're gonna take a balloon and they're gonna put it by esophagus to make it bigger so i can eat because like so things we take for granted right yeah so it used to be like i could eat peanut butter I can't eat that anymore. Like, I love peanut butter and grapes, like black grapes and green grapes and the red ones. 
I'll be able to eat that and I might be able to sneak me some chips in there. <laughs> so like I I haven't had chips for like, oh my gosh, uh yeah, about eighteen months. Oh and uh oh yeah. So yeah, so that part could be fixed. And uh so I go see uh, a specialist for the pulmonary hypertension. And then a neurosurgeon is going to go in and get rid of those burn spurs. So my trachea isn't collapsing so much. Well, then, I think you are going to get some relief. And then <laughs> we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna keep praying for you and keeping in touch and sending you so much love so that you'll heal quickly. Okay. And um, we're going to wrap it up soon. But before we do, do you have advice for anyone who is struggling with the VA or the United States government with their discharge or their medical care? Yes, I do. I want to say that if you are a female or a male veteran that has been sexually assaulted, do not go to military cops. That's the worst thing you can do. I would encourage you to get treatment, but go to civilians. Civilian hospitals are equipped. Uh, they don't violate your privacy. They don't make fun of you. Your command won't have to know. I would also encourage you that should you have to talk to a military cop, do not go in without an attorney. Military police are uh, trained to gather information. Even though you're the victim, nine out of ten times, they will make you the perpetrator. And to them, you are expandable. The military is not for you. They are for themselves. And you are just a piece in the puzzle. When it comes to military records, make sure you get everything from everywhere. If you do ask for an investigation into your rape and you're in the Army, you need to go to the FOIA chief in Texas for CID. These people will have your medical records. They will have blood that was drawn and tested. They'll have forensic photos. They keep them on disk. This will not be given to the Department of Veterans Affairs. The VA is often one-sided in deciding claims for military sexual trauma. They only see what they want to see. They don't know how to weigh the evidence. They don't know how to respond when they're given evidence that's actually illegal. So if the VA gets your statement, and like in my case, gets other statements, they use that to deny you relief. The only thing I know to tell you is don't back down. Don't ever stop. Don't ever stop. My rape is old. It's 2004, and it took till 2018 in December to get the record fixed 100%. Even if the military fixes your record, you will always have that one person that you have they want you to prove your innocence to them. These are the people in charge of your health care, in charge of your benefits. 
These are the people that will violate your privacy. They will call you a liar. They will say that you asked for it. The people that hurt you are most likely to get service connection, retire from the military. And I'm telling you all of this because the more knowledge you have, the more lethal you are. And I am telling you this because I don't want anybody to go through what I did. So that's what I would recommend to them. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. I am like shaking. I have like goosebumps. This story is just so powerful and so heartbreaking, but you are like my hero. You're such a brave woman. (laughs) You are, and you're still fighting and I admire you so much. And it has been a distinct honor to become your friend and to be a part of your life and to watch you kick ass the way you do. So thank you. Thank you for coming on here today. Thank you for having me. And with that, you guys, I've got to wrap this up. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this story. It is an important one. I believe that knowledge is power and knowing what can happen can save lives. And knowing what is possible can help you protect yourself. So thank you so much for listening to this one. I appreciate you guys so much. I love you guys, and I'll talk to you next time.